Khalil Mack. Ladies and drop. gentlemen, C5. Oh. Wing time. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo. Zone, 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 zone. Let me see your shoulders work. I mean, I don't know what y'all came here to do, but uh, yeah. if you ain't got a lighter, what the fuck you smoking for? What the fuck though? Damn. Where the love go? Oh. Five, four, three, two, I let one go. Welcome to Blurge United. Whoever you are, wherever and whenever you may be listening, thanks for making us part of your day. I'm Disa, as ever with Yazzie, and we're just a blur couple, navigating our way through all these geek fandoms and uniting them for your consumption. We got a great show for you guys today. We got an absolutely packed show. Today's obviously over and unders. Yes, we're doing over and underrateds or looking back at the week that was and thinking about things that we think are over and underrated. We got the news, of course, to come up. But first, I want to get into this. Look, I don't think it's, it's a surprise to anybody any longer when we hear that this, that, or the other property is up for the dreaded R word. Um, which one is completely up to you. I mean, we, we see it all the time in the blurred verse. Um, we see things are getting rebooted. Uh, this is getting recast. This uh, game is getting remastered. You know, I, I'm starting to think that uh, over here, the creative industry or whatever, they should start, just start calling it Rebootywood because that's all they're giving us. We've seen Shrek, we've seen Pirates. Hell, even Clueless is getting rebooted. I don't know who wanted to do Clueless in the first place, but whatever. You know, it was, when it came out, it was a completely original piece of work. I think it was based off a book, actually. But it was a completely original piece of work. Somebody put their heart and soul into something and trying to tell a story. They were not thinking about making a franchise out of this goddamn thing. They were just like, I want to tell a story over here. And that's my worry. That's my worry for Hollywood. That's my worry for the gaming industry. That they are so busy trying to resell us our childhoods you know trying to say oh that that well you know that cash cow is getting toward the end of its uh, run we need to reboot it we need to you know robert downey jr or, or chris evans they're getting old we need to recast them you know there's Oh, you know, we haven't made a Command and Conquer game for a while. You know, we need to probably do a remaster of it. Not produce new work. No, 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 no. We don't want to do that. Because that's too hard. And that's really it, isn't it? It's hard. It's difficult to do something that is fresh and interesting. Because that requires taking a risk. It means rolling dice. Why? You? I mean... Think about it. This is why people we tell people not to gamble. Because it's, you're taking a risk. You're taking a gamble over here. And but that's the, the problem with not taking any risks. Is that, yes, if you take a risk, you could lose an awful lot of money. You could lose, you know, $50 million. You know, you, you, you could. But I was here... Just recently on the review show, and I looked at the numbers on Kevin Smith's Chasing Amy. That cost $250,000 to make. $250,000, but it made $12 million. Adam Sandler, back in the peak of his powers, was able to make movies on the cheap and then sell them for way more money than they, than, than they cost. I'm not saying that we need to 
completely dispense with reboots because some of them are necessary like you know let's redo the batman thing you know we need to do that spider-man recasting that was a good decision tom holland's way better than the other two at, at being spider-man in my opinion that's a good recasting and it made sense for their universe because you don't want to come in with a baggage sometimes it makes a lot of sense to recast something or reboot something but i'm sorry you're not you're never going to convince me that it's a good idea to reboot pirates of the goddamn caribbean you're never going to convince me that it is better to to do that then just simply say look what happened to captain jack sparrow happened but we're just going to tell stories in this universe that from new creative storytellers that get to play with these toys now. You're never going to tell me that it is better to remaster Warcraft 3. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Blizzard, again. It is better to remaster Warcraft 3 than it is to give us a Warcraft 4. You know, because I think... Most gamers will tell you they're really eager for Warcraft 4. We want Warcraft 4. We, 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 we've had enough World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft is great. We get it. We love it. Give us a new story. Tell us, tell new stories in this universe. Not, not, not us telling the story within ourselves. Give us a brand new story in this universe. Command and Conquer. Give us a new Command and Conquer. Whether it's a Red Alert or traditional Command and Conquer, give us a goddamn new game. Don't remaster the old games. I mean, fine, do the remasters, but give that to us as a, as, as a part. Give that to us as a DLC addition to the actual game, the new Command and Conquer game. I don't want to see any more reboots. I don't want to see any more remasters. I want to see new work from new filmmakers, new series makers. Where's the next Kevin Smith going to come from? You know, where is that? I mean, we, we do, we, you see the potential of giving new guys a chance in Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler is a guy who just showed up seemingly from nowhere and he's just making bank for everybody now. That's what the potential of new storytellers is. When you give them the opportunity to tell stories that are fresh, interesting. I mean, look at Creed. Have you seen Creed? That thing is brilliant, man. That's what we want more of. Tell new stories in the same universe or a brand new universe. Give new storytellers an opportunity and they won't let you down all the time. Anyway, what do we got over here? Oh yeah, we got the news. Another Shrek movie is on the way. Yes, we are going to find out where Shrek, Donkey, Princess Fiona, and Puss in Boots are going... Wait, no, I'm reading this again and uh, no, we're not. Because Shrek is getting the reboot treatment as part of what Hollywood is doing right now and re-Hollywooding re everything. I'm going to call it Rebootywood. That's what they do. They are rebooting the entire franchise. That is correct. Uh, the Mike Myers-led franchise with Shrek, the venerable franchise that has brought in hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in worldwide sales, is getting the reboot treatment and we have no idea. Uh, why, how is getting that treatment, why and how they're going to do it, but uh, we do know that they are doing it. I, I personally don't know why you want to reboot Shrek. I think that if, if I, I, I'm a father, and I think that if I'm going to, if I want to give my kid Shrek, I'm going to give them Shrek. I, I think that Shrek is good. I think that Shrek, because it's an animated property, I think it lasts. I think that it doesn't need to be rebooted. It just simply needs to be re-released. 
we released the old Shrek because that is timeless. It works. It's fun. It's interesting. It's innovative. It's it's countercultural. It was it, it was everything you needed it to be. And I just don't see how you redo the entire thing without Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz. And the rest of the cast, the rest of the incredible cast, I just don't see how you do that in a real way. They're so unique. I mean, yeah, you can get the voice actors, but there's... There are many comedians, there's only one Eddie Murphy. You know, there are... There are many, many, many people who can do the Shrek voice in today. But nobody puts their heart and soul into it the way Mike Myers does. There's no one else who's going to be able to do... Austin Powers, that's crazy. Why would we want that? And it's the same thing with Shrek. Sh- Shrek is Mike Myers. That's who he is. You know, and I don't understand why they're doing it, but they're doing it, so let's see, and we'll keep you updated with news on how it goes. You know there's that little show that everyone loved about a high school teacher who ends up becoming a drug lord breaking bad right and you know how recently amc has decided that they were going to give the walking dead a movie of its own well guess what guys breaking bad is getting their own movie too hallelujah so that's happening feel about it though obviously I'm happy I have kind of missed the characters I've kind of missed seeing how they all interact with each other as of right now there's no information of you know what members of the original cast will return for the film but as we know Brian Cranston's Walter White died in the series so I'm here assuming that he's definitely not going to be in it unless you do like a mini flashback moment for him which i honestly think would be pointless at this point because we've had what i think it was five seasons or was it less than that something like that but we had like a couple seasons of him and we got a lot of his story so i think we're good so we're probably not going to see brian cranston as walter white in this movie um there is a chance of uh, Walter Jr., who was played by RJ Might, that he could be in it, as well as um, Jesse Pinkman, who was played by um, Aaron Paul. So th- those are the two people who I'm kind of feeling could possibly be in it, but I'm not 100% sure right now. Because they haven't really said who's going to be in it yet. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, in terms of who's going to be, you know, directing and creating all that kind of stuff, it is said that Vince uh, Gillian is going to be taking over the project. And. It's gonna be like his first project in years. Like I think three years. 
so he's now signed a three-year deal with Sony Pictures and we're pretty sure that he he's he's taking it he, he's gonna run with it now I have a feeling the reason why they are why AMC is putting back um, on doing Breaking Bad is because you better call Saul, which was the um, technically the prequel to Breaking Bad, since that was or has been. I can't remember if it's still on air. I think it's off air now, but that did okay. You know, it, it didn't do as well as Breaking Bad, obviously, but. A lot of people did go watch it because they thought, ooh, you know, it's going to have the same vibe. Not as much, sadly. Um, so what they, what the um, creators have said is that they are proud of the show and, of, and they want to just leave it alone. They don't want to touch it. They just want to leave it as, as is. So what they... They're just gonna throw a movie together for Breaking Bad alone without really focusing too much on how um, Better Call Saul works or worked. Sorry, my bad. So generally, hmm, I want to know from you guys. Hey kid, you ever uh, you ever wanted to kill some Ku Klux Klan members? Yeah. You ever wanted to kill him? It not matter towards your reputation? No one ever finding out? Yeah. I figured you would. Guess what? With this game called Red Dead Redemption 2, you're gonna be able to kill all the KKK members you like. Kill them. Drag them around. It's gonna be fun. White hoods. Yeah, I like it too. That is basically what's going to ha- what's happening on Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes, you are able to kill Ku Klux Klan members by the dozen, and it doesn't affect your your reputation rating. That is right. If you, you it, it doesn't matter what you do to them, how you kill them, when you kill them, how many you kill of them. Doesn't matter. You can kill them. You can kill all of them if you like. You, you can go on a you can go on a hunting spree of Ku Klux Klan members as long as they're wearing that white hood. You're good. You're good. I I, I want to say that you know all video game violence of any sort um, has to be purposeful and within reason, and you don't want to encourage a a world where violence against people because of their beliefs is something that we want to encourage. But when I read this particular news bit, I'm not gonna lie to you, I was okay with it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine. You know, no, I mean, you're killing Kuka clan members. That's uh, yeah, I'm okay with that. I can deal with that. No worries. Carry on, Rockstar. Carry on. So, I'm sure by now all of you have seen The Walking Dead, 
um, you know, or you just simply know that Rick Grimes um, is getting his own movie. That is right, Andrew Lincoln has been announced to be starring in a Walking Dead original movie from AMC Originals that starts filming as soon as 2019. That's right, we're st I believe it's February 2019 they're going to start shooting the Rick Grimes movie um, set in the Walking Dead universe. Now, I know uh, this, was a, this, is, this is a controversial move to a lot of people because why do you want to take Rick Grimes off of The Walking Dead? He, in many ways, is The Walking Dead. He is the story of it, but instead they're giving that the soap opera treatment that you can just take him out Fine, whatever. Bring some of the other new characters in there, and we're just gonna keep on watching because now we're moving into the soap opera area. It's no longer The Walking Dead. That is, is no longer a show that had a purpose, that had a singular purpose of telling us the story of Sheriff Deputy Sheriff Rick Grimes and his adventures in this universe. It is now. It has no legs, it is just The Walking Dead. It's a soap opera, the likes of which, uh, it's like The Bold and the Beautiful. It's like Santa Barbara for you old heads. It's like The Young and the Restless, that's what it is. It's just, it's a soap opera set in the world of zombies. Now that's, I, I, think, I think to give it that sort of take is interesting for the show. But I wonder, I do wonder about giving Rick his own movie. I, I do think that that has to be the end of the Rick Grimes story in some manner. I, I don't know how they're going to end his story. I'm interested in hearing your guys' views on how they're going to end this story. Uh, I just, I am obviously concerned um, for Rick Grimes. Uh, I've, I've, I got into The Walking Dead kind of late. I think it was on season three. When everyone else was on season three, I got into it. I, and I've watched it ever since. And I'm, I, I've, I've, I've grown with Rick Grimes. When I got introduced to him, I was not even in my 30s. Now I am in my 30s. You know, and I, Rick Grimes is important to me, goddammit. I want to see him do well. I want to see him right off into the sunset. I want to see, I want to see him okay. But here's what we do know about the, the world of The Walking Dead. Nobody comes out of it alive. We're all... We're all gonna die. And Rick Grimes has to find his end of some sort. I just I just think he should be the one character who doesn't die, who finds a way out. However that way out is, I don't know. I think he deserves a little bit of happiness. Overrated. I was looking at uh, some new, looking up some news for you guys, and I found out that apparently there's some sort of unsubstantiated, not not really concrete reports, but that Megan Fox could be joining the Star Trek universe, and uh, that got me thinking about the other Star Trek projects that are going on, um, namely the Tarantino movie, and also the Tarantino movie that we're not sure what which universe it's set in, and also the. The, the Kelvin continuation movie that's long been reported, but like they're still trying to figure it all out. And I, look, this got me thinking about Star Trek as a whole, as a film franchise. And I keep on coming back to the point that the last movie kind of bombed. It didn't make back its money 
in the US and of course we all know the weird economics of filmmaking in the 21st century that you got to make double to break even right you got to double your gross double double your budget to break even is kind of the way the math works i mean it's not the same for every project but that's a good rule of thumb so it helps you understand why the box offices have to reach certain numbers in order to become successful and it got me but anyway long story short this all got me thinking about Star Trek as a film franchise. And I got to tell you, I think the notion that Star Trek is a major film franchise is kind of bunk. I think this this idea is kind of overrated. I'm not saying that it doesn't deserve to be in cinema. That's not what I'm saying. Before you get mad at me on Twitter, before you get mad at me on Instagram or get in my DMs telling me all kinds of mess. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that Star Trek as a major film franchise, the Uber franchises, it doesn't exist. This is a myth. Star Trek is more akin to Taken. It is more akin to, uh, I don't know, uh, The Transporter. It is more akin to those level of movies than it is the real big franchises out there. The multi-billion the dollar film franchises out there like Fast and the Furious, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. It's long-running competition, Star Wars. It is definitely far more of a TV franchise than it is a film franchise. You want proof, don't you? I get you. I get you. I wouldn't just believe all this without hearing it myself. But look, Star Trek's highest ever budget for a film was 190 million dollars that was obviously for star trek into darkness the second in the kelvin series or i like to call the jj verse of star trek that that had a budget of 190 odd million dollars and it brought in 467 million dollars at the box office adjusted for inflation that is star trek's biggest ever take ever They've never made more money than 467 odd million dollars. I mean, it might be a little bit more, it might be a little bit less. Like, you know, I got this from Movie Mojo. 467, 465, 469, whatever. Who cares, right? Same difference. That's a lot of money. They more than doubled their money, right? They made they did well. They did well. That's a lot of money. I think CBS actually monetized themselves a little bit better than the other um, franchises of their sort. But that's $467 million. Let's look at the other ones, okay? Total, to date, Star Trek has brought in a total of $2.2 billion at the box office on a total budget of $885. Now, I'm sure by now, you're all there saying, yeah, that's a lot of money though. $2.2 billion is a lot of money. Okay, you're right. It's not nothing to be laughed at. Nothing to be scoffed at. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. You know? Star Trek, that's that's a healthy total. They more than doubled their money. And they more than doubled their money back in the day when that was not the, the math. Right? That's, that's pretty good. Let's look at another franchise. Let's just look at another franchise that, that has less movies that is also well celebrated. And I consider to be one of the uber elite franchises in cinema. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings has brought in a total 
the first trilogy, just the first three movies, brought in a a total of $2.9 billion. Really, I... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that out again. Two point nine billion dollars. That means the three Lord of the Rings movies have brought in more money than all of Star Trek in cinema. All of it. All of it. They, they, that means they, 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 they've, they've brought in a whopping seven hundred million dollars more than Star Trek. Total. That is three movies to two. To, to, to like ten. Sorry. Three movies to ten. That's crazy. That that is that is absurd. And I can hear you. And you're saying, but you mentioned what the what the budgets were on the other on the Star Trek ones. Why aren't you mentioning what it is on the Lord of the Rings one? Well, it's kind of embarrassing. That's why. Because Peter Jackson is um, is more than a genius. Uh, he, he did the Lord of the Rings and brought in a whopping $2.9 billion, but he only outputted a reported $281 million on those movies. That means the math reads he brought in times 10 what, what he cost, what it cost to make. Times 10. Now, I'm just talking about the math. I'm not talking about the cultural significance. I'm not talking about what it did on television. I'm not talking about what it did in rentals. I'm not talking about any of that because I'm talking about the films and what they bring in at the box office, what you should be thinking about watching and when you're going out and whether and when you get into geek conversations about the, the, the importance of these movies. I'm just talking about that, the money, the money aspect. And the money aspect we, we know is what gives people confidence to go and make several more of these. And you should feel confident about making a Star Trek movie if you're CBS um, and Paramount. You should feel confident about that. But I don't want to hear anybody telling me that Star Trek is in some way comparable to Lord of the Rings or indeed Star Wars. I don't even want to bring up Star Wars. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping Star Wars name out, the, out my mouth. Just like I'm keeping, just like I think Star Trek fans should when it comes to talking about movies with Star Wars. Don't bring up Star Wars. Just don't do it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your time. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to say that the biggest box office that was brought in by Star Trek, 467, is nearly doubled by Fellowship of the Ring, the worst performing movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy which brought in $871 million in box office today. That is, yeah, that's, that's what that is. That's, that's, that's embarrassing. I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, geeks, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm talking numbers here, and the numbers are rather clear in this. Star Trek, as a film franchise, kind of overrated. Negasonic Teenage Warhead, played by Brianna Hildebrand. Brianna, yeah, Brianna Hildebrand. I think that she is underrated. I don't know her for for anything else, and and it's. I think she did an amazing job. I mean. 
firstly to be like yeah sure i'm gonna be you know you know negasonic teenage warhead yeah I'm, i'm gonna be that you know with the obnoxiously weird long random name i'm happy with that character and she killed it like she did such a good job and then it went sort of quiet for her she doesn't really have much else in terms of her work her work portfolio like i want to i need to see in more things and more big things mind you not not just you know throwing her in, in random stuff no no i want to see in the top things the stuff that that gets worldwide recognition apparently though she is um being cast in a sci-fi thriller called um paris paris phone so i'm excited to see her in that um apparently it's a story of like three astronauts from a colony and they are like they carry this enormous space vessel away from a dying earth we know this sort of story earth is constantly dying as we know so people are constantly trying to find ways to make a story about how would the human race survive off of earth so from my understanding it's pretty much what this is the 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 basis of what this movie is going to be and i love me some sci-fi movies man i i enjoy that that genre and i'm glad that she has been cast in it I mean, it doesn't say as of yet that she's, you know, a lead or anything like that. But the fact that she's been cast, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I will definitely go out and make sure I watch it because I think she's amazing. And I just love her hair, the short haircut. She is absolute sexy to me and like she's so young born in 96 she's a baby and i think ooh, she's doing amazing texas texas born like she's she's a star and she deserves a lot more work i'm glad that this is i feel like this will be a continuous you know upward drive for her she's done the two deadpool movies now she's doing this i i see a bright future for her i see a future where she gets better jobs that make people pine for her time to to see her on the big screen more and more i know it doesn't sound like i'm really excited but i'm i'm it's more like i'm intrigued in in what she could do i'm really intrigued and yeah no she's definitely 
my big underrated actress for this week, Brianna Hildebrand. Over the years, J.J. Abrams has cultivated himself a career as being a savior of sorts of movie franchises. Now, I'm not here to debate J.J.'s TV work because I'm a big fan of his TV work from all the way from Felicity until Lost and Hell. I even enjoyed Alcatraz and I wanted to see more of it. I think J.J. is a TV creator. I think that he is genius. I think that Alias, brilliant work. Alias was exactly the sort of spy drama that I wanted to see on television. I think that Lost, I never really watched Lost, but from all accounts, it's one of the greatest shows ever to appear on television. Genius show. I love Felicity, the story of a young girl moving to a big city for, for love and then finding, finding out more and more about herself and growing into the woman that she would eventually become. I think that, she, that, that story was brilliant. I, I watched every single episode of Felicity. I even got one of the box sets you know, for season one. I think season one is one of the seminal pieces of, of uh, coming of age uh, storytelling that you're, you're likely to see. Um, and then all the way to Alcatraz, which I thought was a fascinating little idea and a fascinating franchise movie, uh, sorry, TV series. I thought that it was great. I wanted to see more of it. I did not want to see less of it. But here's the thing. J.J. Abrams TV exec and producer, one thing. J.J. Abrams movie maker, a different thing. J.J. Abrams, as a builder of the film franchise or film movies, movies that are that are great movies, he's come. He's become a savior of them. Look at it, Mission Impossible. He saved that franchise. It was kind of waning after the second one. I didn't like Mission Impossible too, and people were kind of like, "Do we really need Mission Impossible?" Go back, Google articles from that time when before J.J. Abrams got his hands on the Mission Impossible franchise and met Tom Cruise on that. Go back to it. People were asking themselves, do we really need Mission Impossible 3? Like, do we? You know? Star Trek. Star Trek was a waning universe. I, I've, I've said it before. I think that Star Trek as a film franchise doesn't work. But it was, it, it was, it was flagging. It had made, it never made any money. Never made any real money to, to compete with the bigger and bigger, bigger budgeted, bigger, bigger, bigger movies of, 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 the t of the kind. And he came in there and saved it. I think Star Wars is, it was another one. He's coming around, coming back on his white, white horse to come and save the franchise over here. But here's the thing. I judge directors by what they're able to do with the work. And here's my problem with JJ. I don't think and you're welcome to correct me here. I don't mind being told I'm wrong and how could I say that or whatever. I'm not here for, for any of that. I'm talking as a pure movie guy. As a pure movie guy. What movie has J.J. Abrams done that is a bona fide, absolute, 100% classic movie? Just, I, I, I don't mean... I don't, I, don't, I don't mean that it, it made a lot of money. That's not what I'm talking about over here. I'm talking about a classic. Like, if you told people about J.J. Abrams' career, which movie are you saying, dude, go watch this movie? This is the movie 
that you gotta see because he is this is an absolute classic i look at kevin smith i'm like you know what he did clerks man go watch that movie that movie is an absolute absolute classic it's something that you, you gotta see i was talking to some film uh, bird, uh, aspiring filmmakers the other week and i told them listen classics you gotta go see you gotta go see clerks it's like it's it's filmmaking 101 you know it's film classic 101 right over there I looked at Tarantino and I said, look, man, you gotta see Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. You gotta see these movies. Those, those two are, those are classics. I mean, Tarantino seems like everything he does is classic because I'd also probably put in Kill Bill. I know it's controversial, but I'd say Kill Bill 1 is a better movie than Kill Bill 2. That's me. That's me. That's my own personal thing. I think the Kill Bill series, Volume 1 and 2, are both classics. I think they're both excellent movies and I think that Anybody, most people would tell you, go watch Kill Bill if you want to find out more about Tarantino movies, right? I just don't have a movie like that for, for, for JJ. I can't explain that. He's done so many things. I mean, he, he, my issue is, I suppose, is that he's doing, playing with other people's toys. He's never really exploring his own, which is kind of the problem. And I know what you guys are all saying right now. I know somewhere, someone out there who is listening to this is saying to themselves, dude, what about Cloverfield, man? Cloverfield is a goddamn classic. Look at it, man. Look. I had to sip some tea right there. <sighs> Cloverfield is Godzilla. That's all it is. It's Godzilla. It's uh, Godzilla, and it's not even the best telling of the Godzilla story. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I think that its legacy has been ruined in subsequent work. Also, that's a big problem that I have with that movie. I think that Cloverfield, I mean, I'm not saying this, this, this is not an 8 out of 10, but it's not that 9.5 out of 10 that you, you want. Anyway, I, that's my own opinion. I just, I'm sorry, but I think that J.J. Abrams' film career, controversially perhaps, is overrated. So Idris Elba, um, my man Idris Elba, I think uh, he just got the award from People Magazine. I I still can't believe they hand these awards out. Same way I don't, I can't believe that whole sexiest woman in the world thing is still a thing. But like, I don't know, sexiness is such an subjective sort of thing. But whatever, you know, that's not what this is about. I'm not here to say that um, Idris Elba is sexiness. <laughs> is underrated i think that if i did it yazzy and all the other women who listen to this are going to say what the fuck are you talking about idris alba is 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 well actually they probably agree they probably agree they say it is underrated he's the sexiest man alive he's the sexiest man in the history of sexy men and so on i'm not here to debate that but what it did make me think about was the headline that i read on subheading over there somebody said idris alba sexiest man alive and maybe now he'll get to play James Bond 007. And that got me thinking about James Bond 007. I think Idris Elba should not play 007. I know, that's, that's a really controversial, controversial idea. I know, I know, you don't like it. Here's what I do think. 
I think that this 007 universe, by you, by everybody else, most people, and hell, by even the broccolis, is underrated. You know what I would do with the Bond universe? This is what I'd do with it. I'm going to tell you what I'd do. I would hire Idris Elba. But I would hire Idris Elba and make him M, not 007. Look, the guy's edging on 50. We got to accept that he can't really... We, we don't want a black James Bond to come in there. We don't want a black 007 to come in there and just be in there for one movie. We don't want that. We want a real deal opportunity here to make a, a double O black. That's what we want, right? That's what I'm hearing people saying. I've heard people say we want, a chi- we want an Asian 007. Why can't 007 be Indian? And I'm saying to you, you know, you're probably right. You're probably right, but there's a way to satisfy all of that. This is what I would do with the 007 universe. I would make a TV show, not call it MI6, I'd call it 00. And I would have the whole thing set in the world of 007, where they're, because they're 00, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. That's nine double O's. That's nine of them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Six, seven, eight, nine. It's nine double O's. As far as I count them, this is what you do. You keep 007 as he is. Keep 007, keep him, keep him in and around the show. Maybe have the, the, the current 007 show up on the show or something like that. But then the rest of them, there are eight of them, make them all different races and genders. Split it right down the middle, men and women. Two black double O's, one man, one woman. Two double, two, two double O's who are uh, black, Asian, Indian, or uh, Arab, and make the other ones white. White, white, black, Asian, Indian, right? Man, woman, split it right down the middle. That kind of covers the entire world and makes it a realistic option for placing double O's wherever you want in the world and dealing with world situations as I believe a spy agency might want to do. Have Idris Elba play the M and you get to see him every single week. Have shows of double this double O dealing with this thing over here, coming in and talking to M in a one hour show. And then have the next double O's and whatnot. Eight episodes. Eight episodes of double O's all with M. Idris Elba, you get your Idris Elba fixed. Maybe M even gets into the field. Maybe the whole arc of the beginning of it is him getting the job. Maybe Idris Elba's a former double O. Give him double O nine status or something like that. And he's like, oh God, we need we need somebody else who's gonna come in here and make, make him put put him in there as a double O. I don't know. I think though M has to have a public profile, but that's that's neither here nor there. They can figure it out. And then put Idris Elba in that role of M, right? And then lead this all into the 007 movie. This is all preamble, eight episodes leading into a 007 movie, which is then the summer release. And we're all like, holy shit, man, this 007 movie makes sense. It's so brilliant because you know what? I just watched eight episodes of a worldwide spanning show that all led toward this like there's some sort of threat that's on un- being unlayered layer by layer over here some double o's die some save the day and whatnot they cripple something over in uh, i don't know nicaragua they cripple something in nicaragua which was key to something that was happening in japan um which um 
and then that becomes crippled over there. Double O saves saves the day. Double O six saves the day in Japan. You know that's the age, the Japanese woman Double O seven who saves the day over there doing her own thing and but she dies you know she dies heroically saving the day and this ruins it for the double o's in south africa um this actually means that her, their job is double hard you know and that's the black double o seven uh, played by i don't know you can get a british actor there are tons of british actors if doctor who has showed me anything there are lots of british actors out there of a wide variety of races and gender great actors of these things do that with a double universe and you get yourself a TV show, you expand the universe, you get to see black, white, Asian, and Indians or Arabs in, in the role of double O secret agent in the world of 007 satisfies everybody because we don't really need 007 to be white. To, sorry, to be any of these things. What we want, what, what I think people are really saying is we want to see this in this world, a in this world of 007, we want to see other races and genders being important to the success of this world and the way that this world is built. We want to see the rest of the universe expanded and we want to see more diversity, not just maybe because we never imagined a TV show, but in the role, the world of 007. We want to see more diversity, satisfying everybody. I just think that the, the Broccoli's, the Broccoli's, where, where, where most of the public over here, they're underrating the, the potential for, in, in, that exists within the double O universe. I don't know. You tell me your thoughts. As a Hoovian, it hurts my heart a little to say this. But with five episodes in, I kinda am feeling that this season of Doctor Who is slightly overrated. I think the real issue was there was such an anticipation for Jodie Whittaker to come in with a huge bang and sustain that bang. However, that bang isn't being sustained. <coughs> it's... Okay, let me put it this way. So we start the season with Jodie Whittaker and she meets these four people. Three of which end up becoming her companions because one of them ends up dying. Now, we're used to having one major companion where, you know, this is the go-to constantly. You'll see them every season, not every season, every episode. And every now and then you'd get like, okay, an extra person to join like with Amy and uh, Rory and then we had as well um, gosh why am I drawing blanks all of a sudden Rose and uh, Mikey her boyfriend and then you know even now and then in that season Captain Jack would join them 
So that's, you know, three quote-unquote companions. Now this season, these are proper companions. Like these these aren't, you know, people who will, you know, filter in and out. They are there. They are the actual companions. However, they don't have enough of a backstory as of yet. And that bothers me a little because I'm used to knowing a lot more of each of the of a companion and I'm wondering if three is too much for right now has has the doctor bitten off too much for once now don't get me wrong like every episode so far has been really brilliant especially episode three that as of right now is my favorite because it opened my eyes to how how important the civil rights not civil rights movement um well actually technically yeah yeah the civil rights movement was to black americans with Rosa Parks and how she affected these people and how she had such a big role to play and and I must say at the end of that episode I actually cried because it made me so much more aware of the things that go on in America and how they are dealt with and how black people were seen, how black people were treated. It made me more appreciative of, of, of their struggle out here. And I commend the writers for, for that episode. However, I still think the season as a whole may be overrated. We got a big love and 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 praise for Jody when she started but i think the the hype realistically <clears throat> it it didn't live up to to the hype it was getting that first you know episode amazing great awesome you know we meet the doctor finally we meet the companions finally but now what like it's just sort of coasting along now and I feel like people are trying to still convince themselves that this is an amazing season and I feel like it's because of that thing that I had a problem with with, with Wonder Woman in my last over and under that it's because the woman thing rather than it's because it's actually just good like I'm waiting for that day where a female can be cast in something so important, so well, it's not so important, but cast in in a lead role like this, and we not hype it up because it's a woman that's been cast in this, but rather hype it up because it's a good show or it's a good movie 
So, with that being said, I sadly, with with a very heavy heart, a very heavy Hoovian heart, have to say that this season, season 13 of Doctor Who is overrated. I'm sorry, but it's overrated. So yeah, gosh, that's so hard to say for me. Like it, it hurts my heart, but that's the truth and I've got to live with it. You know, when I was a kid, I remember I was always saying to myself, I was going to do things so much differently than my folks. I was always, I was, I, I, I just completely said, no, no, they're not doing it right. They're not buying enough cheese in the house. They're not, there's not, they're, 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 I would, I would get my kids more toys. I would, I would, I would, I would do this, that, and the other different than my parents. And then when I got out of school and I became a, I became, I got older, I'm, I'm, once it was on my shoulders to to make sure there's cheese in the house and the toys are bought are bought and underneath the Christmas tree and all of that stuff, I came to realize my parents did a hell of a job. I I don't know how they got any toys to begin with. How the hell do they always find toys? And I realized all the sacrifices and taking it on the chin and taking it off with a smile and you know I know that the economy was slightly better back in the day and I realize all of that but I, there's no way you're gonna tell me like if most most kids to most people today are gonna absolutely look at their folks and say Christ man if I'm being honest I kind of underrated the job my parents did I kind of underrated the job that they did. They were always there was always food under the table, the, on the table. There was always Christmas toys under the Christmas tree. There was always cheese in the fridge. I don't know how they did it. That's kind of the feeling that I think most people are encountering now when they think about George Lucas at Lucasfilm. I think that most people they underrated his impact on that studio and their ability to make good work without it with and without it. They, they 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 overestimated their own ability to make movies without his input and ideas i think george lucas is well he's obviously one of the great imagineers of this time or any time to begin with but there was always a lot of guck thrown his way about like oh you know, you you were you, you you didn't the best Star Wars movie. You didn't even do the best Star Wars movie in Empire Strikes Back. You know, you didn't. Um, what's it called? Uh, Indiana Jones. You know, it was all because of Harrison Ford, and it wasn't because of you. And Crystal Skull is a great example of that. You know, your 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 powers are waiting here, George. You gotta get out the door. I think that people said the prequels, those were terrible movies. You can't cast. You have no idea how to make a good movie, George. You suck, George. Get out of here, man. And then Bob Iger just made an apology. To Star Wars fans, he went out and said, Oh, God, you know, I think that we uh, we didn't do a good job. I think that uh, it's... Hasn't been great with Star Wars, and we we need to course correct. We need a course correction. We need to 
figure out where we're going and we're going to focus on other projects within the Star Wars universe and kind of take a back seat with this whole thing and reassess. I never heard George Lucas say one time I need to reassess. I never heard him say we need to think about what we're doing. All he said was I have an idea and I'm going to put it out there. And then he went out and put it out there and people came and they gave him a billion dollars for it. That's what I heard. That's all I've heard. I think that George Lucas, every time the phone rings with George Lucas, whether you're Steven Spielberg, whether you are Paramount Pictures, Fox Pictures, Bob Iger, you should change the ringtone on your goddamn phone when George Lucas calls to like a cash register or like that ATM sound when with a Yeah, change it to that. Because that's what George Lucas represents. He represents cash money. He's an Imagineer of our time. He's maybe the Imagineer of our time who is able to create, weave together stories and make it work commercially. He brings together commercially viable... He has, he has this weird ability. That's what it is. He has this weird ability to think up a project and somehow make it such that it's commercially viable. To get the right production staff around himself to bring it to life and get this world to be commercially viable. I think that the real failing of the Star Wars universe has not been the oversaturation of it. I think that it's because the suits are in charge of Star Wars and not the Imagineers. Star Wars, Lucasfilm and Lucas Skywalker, whatever, all that Skywalker crap, it should be led by Imagineers. Put an Imagineer at the helm and let him come up with ideas and everybody else try and figure out how to make that shit happen. Give George Lucas the goddamn respect he deserves, people. I think that you and everybody else has been underrating this guy. You like the show? Or maybe you don't. Maybe you want to ask us a question, or even better, give us an answer. We have so many questions. Well, you've got a few options to get that done. You can, of course, tweet us at Blurds United. You can DM us on Instagram. 
Um, that's also at Blurds United. Or you can chat to us directly on Facebook or go to our group there. Join, please. We always welcome new members. Or if you're really feeling up to it, you could get the Anchor app and send us a voice note and you can get your voice on this show telling us whatever it is. Hell, if you ask a really good question, we might even call you in for an interview. How about that? 